Hi, this is Damon Pistolka, host of the Faces of Business, where I talk with interesting people sharing life and business experiences to entertain, engage, build community, and provide information to help others succeed. If you're interested in learning more about one of our guests or how we are helping business owners generate wealth and build businesses they can sell or succeed at Exit Your Way, you can find more information on our website, ExitYourWay.com, or by contacting me directly, Damon at ExitYourWay.com. I hope you enjoy the show. All right, everyone. Welcome once again to the Faces of Business. I'm your host, Damon Pistolka, and I'm excited for our guest today because I've got Lori Michelle Levitt here today from Abridge Corp, and we are talking to the Pivot Catalyst herself. Welcome, Lori. Glad to be here. Well, this is interesting because you've been the Pivot Catalyst a bit before we've heard this word as much as we did the last two years. Yeah, you know, it's been in the startup space for a long time. And and actually, it was the use of that term in the startups world that caused me to look at it and go, this is where I fit. Because in organizations that have more than one or two people, it's not quick. It is just pivots are not sustainable pivots are not quick. They are Mm -hmm. orchestrated many people, many shifts over time. And so it just was nagging at me. So I was doing this for a while. And then I wrote a book on that same topic. All right. So, and you said something and we'll, we'll, we'll get back to this because I want to want to talk about the pivots, obviously. So tell us a little bit about your background so we can kind of understand how you've gotten where you are today and, and being the, the pivot catalyst. Okay, so I color my gray hair. So how far back do you want to go? <laughs> I've as far as you a feel. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, we'll just start with the career. You had mentioned before we got on, on air about my financial background. And yes, I have all those letters after my name. Um, yeah. I was a, a financial analyst internal to business. So some people call it management accountants. Some people call it financial analysts. Basically, I was the person that was looked to for decision support. Mm -hmm. I put together all the budgets. I helped with strategy. I did all the variance analysis. I'm the one that said, this is the information that'll help them make the best decisions. And now, you know, of course I do that for myself and I do that for Mm -hmm. my, my clients. So that's, um, I was in corporate for about 17 years. I started my business in late 2000. And typical journey of, quote, an expert. I started as a consultant. And then almost immediately, I saw a need for a software solution in the HIPAA space, healthcare privacy security. So my first software helped most many large and all of all sizes, healthcare organizations move through this privacy and security regulations more quickly and and with better performance on the outset, not just compliance. Mm -hmm. And so that got me interested in, wow, you know, I really truly can serve by creating software for the world. 
So now I wear all of those hats. I still do consulting. I do coaching. I have a software company. All of it catalyzes mm -hmm. momentum for leaders and teams. Everything I do, the books, my speaking, um, everything is about catalyzing momentum. Catalyzing momentum. I got to write that down so we can talk about that in a moment. So when you look at the the path you've taken, now it's it's okay. She started out as as a, a financial analyst. You you've had your own company, software company. This is not a typical path for people that are doing the coaching and like you're doing now. I would think. <laughs> That varied. Um, well, you know, I'll tell you one of, hmm, I'm, I've, I've been trying to think of when my eyes opened to why this was a fit. One, when you're doing, when you're really good at financial analysis and analysis inside of companies, you get mm -hmm. to know people. Because how on earth can you help others make decisions if you're not getting the truth from people? And if you're not getting input, like before you have to go ask so I was the person in accounting that would go out and walk around and talk to people mm -hmm. and meet with all the different departments and divisions. So that was the start of it. Um, I did a lot of mergers and acquisitions. And when I did that in the early days, I actually, so I knew that they're almost all acquisitions. So I'll just sit, use that word. I knew that almost all acquisitions involved some issues with cultural fit. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't just the due diligence. Okay. Is this person hiding unpaid checks in their drawer? Yes, we did yeah. check for that. But we yeah. also, you know, we also, I also wanted to check the people. Well, I had to hide that early on in, in my days because my bosses just wanted to know that I was, they just wanted my great financial models. They just wanted the financial expertise they didn't really want to know about the people, which is, as we know today, ridiculous. And mm -hmm. still, it's an area where many companies um, fall down. So all of this, you know, becoming just like anything, um, it's not that I all of a sudden went, oh, well, now I want to be the pivot catalyst. It's just that I found the right words for what I do. Okay. Oh, very good. And you're right. In acquisitions, the the understanding of the culture is is sorely lacking in most people that are in in investment buyers and, and across the board. And I don't think, hopefully, the larger transactions they're doing a lot more of it because it, it's significant when you look at something like that putting two different cultures that clash together. You know, I'm I'm seeing some learning out there. Absolutely. In my books, I write about Microsoft. And I think uh, Satya Nadella is doing just some wonderful things. And it's not that the, the, the leaders before him were bad. I mean, we like to pick on Balmer because he's so different to how mm -hmm. um, Nadella is. But that seemed right for the time. It might have gone a little exactly. bit beyond its time, but it was all about competition. Mm -hmm. And yet during those times... There's also some of that know-it-all-ness, if that's even a term. And, and that's when you miss those culture clashes. So that's, I don't know if it was during his time or Gates' time when, say, the Avenue A acquisition happened and then it was written off. 
I mean, Nokia mm-hmm. wasn't a culture thing. It was just a different reason that why it didn't work. But yeah. Avenue A, they didn't want to work at, at Microsoft, so it was written off. And this is in the 2000s. So it's taking us a lot of time, a long time, to yeah. really um, get. And with acquisitions, it's also difficult because so much is hush-hush. You're not going to go mm-hmm. into each organization and start assessing people specifically yeah. openly and, oh, and that there's going to be this acquisition. So I get it. I get yeah. that it's difficult, but I will tell you there are ways to do it. Yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. So you just finished, finished the book, uh, pivot to clarity. Mm-hmm. It talks, it talks about, it says right on just, uh, get clear for yourself and be, so you can be clear for others. Um, what really inspired you to write this latest book? Well, two things. Um, one is in the first book, I identify, I identify a state that I see organizations are in when they are oh, kicking on all cylinders, as we say, that they really mm-hmm. are in the position to even have breakthrough performance. I mean, what they didn't even expect. Yeah. And it's a state that I call aligned momentum. And because I'm a financial person, this is where it shows up. You got to measure it. You don't get what you don't measure, right? Mm-hmm. So how, how on earth am I going to measure this? This is also one of the difficulties organizations have because the qualitative stuff is harder to measure. And so I wasn't going to write a book or even state that I'm looking for the state of aligned momentum without telling people, what on earth does it look like? How do we know we're there? So I talk about six aligned momentum key indicators. And the first one is clarity, getting clear for yourself and how you're being clear with others. So I knew I was going to write six more books mm-hmm. and clarity also somewhat brought on because of the pandemic, somewhat because it's the first just really felt like the right one to write today. I mean, we are, if if there's any time when our minds were muddy, it was mm-hmm. during the pandemic. I mean, I'll tell you, it was hard to write the book. It was hard for me to be clear about getting clear. Yes. Well, and it's, it's I think it's a natural starting point too, as you figure your six, the, the six mm-hmm. things you need to consider. Because if you don't have clarity in where you're going, where you, you know, roadmap, whatever you want to call it, or destination, anything like that, it's like taking off and going on vacation, but saying, I don't know where we're going. We're going to get in the car and go. Yeah. Well, here's the tricky thing. So I don't know how tricky it is, but I find it's tricky for many leaders. Getting clear with you as a leader and you're, you're there to set direction. What I find is that, so that level of getting clear is more of a, it's less you know exactly how to get there. And most, most I find, and you know, we're all, we all want to do this. We want to know. So mostly we walk into those strategic planning sessions and we jump directly to year one. And, and doing year five, three, whatever, is just an exercise. It's not even, no one's really thinking outside of the box, letting themselves go, 
letting them think about this or even talk about something that's really far in the distance that's fuzzy, but that could create that magnetic pull that is what inspires everyone. So what happens is they go into an ex into the strategic planning session, come up with their one-year strategic plan, create mm -hmm. a budget from it, give the budget to people, and somehow think that that's inspiring. And I'll tell you, I've created a lot of budgets and I'm pretty good at it, but none of them are inspiring. Mm -hmm. You make great points there because that is you've you've described the annual budgeting process for most companies and and the 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 one year you're right it it says this is what we're going to do this year but it doesn't lay out something that's transformational that's really you know a true goal for the company that to aspire to or whatever you want to say it, it usually is within the confines of what we know now this is where we're going to go how we're going to perform unlike a three or five year, even 10 year um, where you can really lay out some of those, some of those broader goals that can really change your industry or, or your, you know, the lives of everyone that's associated with your business. Right. And that's what I do with the software that I have today, which is a different software, which is, which is um, really working on that. I'll call it a leadership operating system, really working mm -hmm. on that issue. Because the other thing that happens, even those that do take some time to think through a, a at least a, a, say a three-year plan. And, and I say at least because yes, I know you can't execute that. Today is moving too fast. You're going to execute year one. All I'm saying is when I say get clear, I mean, go ahead and go to that. Where are you going towards? Mm -hmm. But just don't come up with the details. And it, what happens is then there's so many things that no one can measure. And so that's what I try to support with this. How do you, how do you measure that qualitative stuff so that you don't just have the strategic plan that goes on a shelf or in the, an online mm -hmm. folder these days and mm -hmm. a budget that looks like maybe a fourth of the strategic plan because it has, mm -hmm. it can measure sales and it can measure headcount, and there's just not a lot much, yeah, lot else there. Um, yeah, and it helps them really, really look at it in a more holistic way. Huh. yeah. Well, that's that's interesting because you you really did capture in a in a nutshell the difference between when you go beyond the first year of budging or, or you look out into, into the long term of trying to see where your company is going. It's not really, there's some numbers, but it's, it's really more of we're going to go in this direction because we think it's the biggest growth. And, and then yes, it's some estimate of numbers, but those numbers aren't even going to become close to materializing the other parts of moving towards those those industries or segments or or opportunities is what you really need to be moving and that's a lot more qualitative than quantitative right you do enough so that you know um what steps you have to take you do mm -hmm. enough so that you know hey if we want to do this we need these kind of people i don't think we you know let's assess to see if we have them right now maybe we don't or we need to be more visible in this area or, or whatever fits your business. 
so that you mm -hmm. have, you know, you look out that far so that you can think of these, these key steps, these milestones, these more about how you, how you will be than what you will do as an organization. Mm hmm. I'm thinking as you're saying that, as you're saying that, because and I'm thinking of the leaders that you're, that you're helping do this. This is a, this is a crucial step for them to really um, think in multi-year terms, because there's a lot of organizations that you can't, I mean, it multi-year work, right? It's if, if, if you want to go into um, just whatever you want to go into a different industry, you want to branch your into a different market, um, or even just going from I only sell in the United States and now I sell globally. There, it could be a multi-year process, and you're you're absolutely right. It's like what kind of foundational things do I need to do today to be able to step on that, uh, build on that foundation tomorrow to go to the next step to finally get to that mm -hmm. over a multi-year time frame. Huh. Very cool. So as you're as you're writing this book, what? were some of the things that you discovered that you said, Hmm, this, this helped me a little bit with some clarity. Yeah. Well, I mentioned, um, Hmm, where it helped me with clarity. Well, one is anytime I write a book, I get better at being clear. Still, I do talks like I'm doing with you. And mm -hmm. sometimes the host will ask a question and then I listen back to the tape and I realize I didn't answer that question until way after I <laughs> went into some stories because something else was on my mind. And so when I'm writing a book, I have to force myself to who am I talking to and how would I explain this? How would I express this to them? And how do I want them to feel when I do it? And bringing that back from that authoring process to real life is a continuous learning process. I mean, I'm still, I'm not perfect at it. I'm what's um, one of my mentors, David Meltzer says, um, wonderfully imperfect. So I'm wonderfully imperfect today and probably tomorrow. There you go. That's awesome. And it's funny you say that because I interviewed Steve uh, human uh, a few weeks ago and he's, he's the science fiction author and he mm -hmm. said a very similar thing about when you write, you have to think about how you want to make those people feel in your writing. And yeah. Huh. That's so in very... this one, the first book, not that it doesn't have any heart, but the first book is much more um, what you would expect of a business book. Mm -hmm. They're both very well researched, but the second one for me was harder. You know, I mentioned how, so I was the expert and I had to unlearn a lot to be this person that's more, um, more of a coach. And it is more in living in curiosity and mm -hmm. being interested than being interesting and living in, I'm the solutions person. And so um, my first book, which is an, a fantastic book. It walks through, you know, what, why you want to do this orchestrating piv pivots and getting to align mm -hmm. momentum and really how stepping from here. If you're here, then you go here. And if you're here, then you go here with pivot to clarity. I really wanted 
a certain, I want readers to feel a certain way. I want it to, I mean, no one chooses to change unless they feel inspired. Some, some words they read or hear causes them to, causes something to click. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to get that from instructional materials. That's why so much training doesn't work. It's like mm-hmm. people need to get that information in a certain way and at a certain time in order to choose choose to try something new, choose to be vulnerable and look stupid for a while in order to, to change, um, choose to start asking questions anytime they're getting ready to give a solution, choose to be the person who pushes through whatever is tough, I call it tenacity, you know, to, will push through resistance and knows as a leader that other people are going to feel that resistance and that they have what it takes to help others move through it. Mm-hmm. And, and getting someone to feel that way about themselves if they're not there yet is, um, well, it's it's something I'm working on doing. And I started with this second book. All right. That's, Yeah. So you mentioned you mentioned this is something that I often wondered and and I I see it happening in business. It seems like we we talk about pivots in the sense of of the last couple of years and as those kind of things, but we talk about talk about business change over time. And you've talked about pivoting and 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 really what businesses need to do over time. Why is it? Do you think that? It is so hard. It is so hard, even when it's right in front of someone's face in these businesses for leaders to take a hold of the fact that they need to make a change and then actually follow through and get the changes made. It just seems like so many businesses just die because they cannot make a make a pivot. And even when it's, it, it's so evident, right? It's so evident that they will die if they don't do it, but they can't do it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm laughing because there's so many, there's so many different components of the answer for that. Yeah. And, yeah, and, I'm, I, know, and right. I also don't want to say I have the answer. No, no. And I, I would be the know-it-all, but here are my thoughts on that topic. Um, one, we need to let go and not, have to know. We do not always have to be the expert. If we have to know, we've automatically created resistance for ourselves and probably everyone else around us so that they're not going to step up and help. Mm -hmm. Um, Another is that um, we you, you really need to have a purpose for why you're doing what you do. When I say look into the future, I'm also saying it's a North Star. That's why I said it's a magnetic pull. It's that purpose. I go through really tough stuff. But that purpose, knowing that I have a reason for going through it, that worthy goal, that purpose I have, pulls me through those tough times. Mm-hmm. When you don't have it, when you're just solving one problem after another and one looks too difficult, you're just going to let it go. 
because there's no reason to push through. Now, there are some times that, that if it's really hard, you should say no. And I had to work on that because I was a never giver upper. And yeah. sometimes you're, if you look into the future, you'll see that you can keep, you can keep pushing and trying and maybe you're feeling pulled by a purpose, but let's say it has no economic engine at the end. I mean, you, you find some facts change, like you think it did, but then you realize maybe you're heading into a new market and someone gets mm -hmm. there first. You know, that's a simple answer to that. But then mm -hmm. maybe you do change your mind, right? Maybe you don't keep going, but that's a conscious choice. That's a, all right, the facts have changed. So now I'm going to change this destination I'm going to. But if you don't look far enough out, you're just solving one thing at a time. Resistance will slap you down every mm -hmm. time it happens. Yeah. Yeah. I, it comes, the word ego comes back into my mind. Do you think it, the leaders, their ego just hits them as they don't know, they don't know that their ego won't allow them to appear to others like we don't know how we're going to go there, but we need to go here. And since they can't say that, that that holds them back from even doing anything. Well, you know, ego is just that we're human. And I yeah. think you're talking about that um, their belief system makes them feel like they need to know it all. Yeah. Um, and, and that is, that is a block. Absolutely. That is a hindrance. Yeah. And I talk about that a lot in my book too. And I, someone read it and they went, man, you talk about know-it-alls a lot. And I, and I think in part is because I was one. I mean, it is a challenge for many of us achievers because people look to us to know. And it's not, so mm -hmm. it's not always coming from a, a place of, well, I don't think I was ever arrogant. It's not coming from a place of arrogance. It's coming a place from we're defined by it if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Oh, it so does. One, th one thing I'll say is that it's not your fault. It's your default. You've mm -hmm. been doing it that way for so many years. So one of the chapters, I devote an entire chapter to the book and pivot, pivot to clarity on hope and fear. And I actually include that in the, in the part on being clear on how you can be clear with others because you need to understand fears in order for your message to land. If you're just spewing out your words and you're in the wrong place, wrong time, wrong set of people, your words are causing defenses to raise up. You're mm -hmm. starting with story instead of the point when you're in business. Um, people are, their fears are going to be coming to the surface. But the first thing to understand are your own fears. What are those things? Are, are you afraid to be vulnerable? Are you afraid to look stupid? Hmm. Yeah. Because <laughs> you see that holding people back every day. It, or, anybody, anybody. And I don't think anyone, as you said, is immune to it. That's for sure. And even though we know everybody's afraid, we all have, we all are human and, and we need to be able to share that appropriately and move forward. 
I just, um, yeah. But it's really hard to understand our, their blind, many times they're blind spots. They're blind spots if we're doing something and we don't know we are. For yeah. example, it's possible that when I was showing up, and I'm sure I was as a know-it-all, that I felt that I was helping the person by being that, that they needed that from me. And so that would have been a blind spot. So one of the reasons I started leadership peer groups was because I hadn't had people to identify my blind spots. Now, that wasn't the one that was the hardest on me. The hardest on me was that I was this expert in decision support, and yet I failed in making decisions about um, executive level people when I started my business. Mm -hmm. And I had millions flow out to them, unfortunately. And, and, you know, huge lesson. And I had to, on my own, figure out that I was the theme in this story and what on earth was I doing or, mm -hmm. you know, who was I attracting or who was I allowing to be in that circle. And I had to switch up that circle. But it would have been so much easier if I'd had a peer group around me um, that could have helped me identify those blind spots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that you know, if, if there is one thing I see that has really, to me anyway, changed a lot in the, in the last few years anyway, in the last five or so, is is the the rise of the mastermind or peer groups where you truly do have more people working together that can that can help each other from a peer level like that. Um, and you've done a lot of that the the peer peer group coaching. Mm -hmm. What are some of the things, and you, you brought it up, so I'm going to ask a couple of questions. What are some of the, the things that you really see when you get these good peer groups going? Um, what are some of the benefits that these, these executives see? Oh, my word. I mean, one of the reasons I still do it is it's so rewarding to see the transformations. And it's not me. I just create the space mm -hmm. for it. And, and, you know, as a good facilitator, you recognize when a conversation is going a certain way or when people are really needing to ask a question or something like that. Um, so I have seen I've seen businesses go from hugely in debt to multi-million dollar businesses. Mm -hmm. And the leader just feeling so relieved and, you know, this huge burden. And, and he did it, you know, him, himself. He, he did, I mean, we didn't do it for him. Mm -hmm. I have seen marriages improve. I mean, go figure. That's, that's, you know, I'm not a life coach. That's not me. Yeah. I have seen um, people just understanding their business better. Um, for example, if they're not seeing financials um, timely, and I might say, you need to see the financials timely, yet you know your business better than anyone, what would you measure? Like if they're in construction, what does it mean if you have pipe on the job site a month before you need to place it? What does that mean to your business? Mm -hmm. There are things that they know and no one's ever just called it out. Um, I've had people, many of them have finally fired someone who was toxic. They were afraid to do it before, before then. And because they're all good people, right? And they're yes. always thinking, you know, we need them. Other people like them. 
um, did we fail them? Did we not train them enough? And no, they're just toxic. Mm -hmm. Get rid of them. Yeah. Knowing that they had done, you know, everything that they could and the person just didn't choose to change. So I've seen wonderful things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Those toxic people, man, you just can't get rid of them. Can't get away from them, can you? It's, I mean, it, 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 I think in almost any organization, there's a level of that and it's how much of it will the leaders choose to accept and, and, and two, how much do they, how much behavior do they display? Obviously sets the groundwork for a lot of it, but yeah. So what do you, what, what do you enjoy the most about peer group coaching? Uh, well, that the transformations, I mean, ab absolutely. The fact yeah. that I, so again, you know, as a, as a consultant, whether I was inside the business or outside of the business, I will give the advice and the guidance and, you know, they'll end up taking it. It'll sustain or not. But when you're working with these peer groups in a coaching um, fashion and they're working with each other, when they become better leaders themselves, mm -hmm. because they learn this method of questioning um, and to see people choosing to change, you know, it's going to stick because they've chosen to. That is, that is very cool because you get to see them when they make that choice to change and, mm -hmm. and then start doing it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and those that I work with, I don't, I mean, everyone that I bring into the group is very selective. They have courage, curiosity, and tenacity. It's not like I'm bringing know-it-alls into the group and now they're not being a know-it-all. So mm -hmm. I never know what the transformation is going to be. But I've yeah. seen one in almost every person that has been through my groups. Very cool. I've always wondered about this. How hard is it to pair, put the right people in the group together? Very hard. I, I was always thought about that would be the hardest thing to do is like, especially just... in a small community. So I'm, I'm yeah. starting global um, remote groups. Yeah. And I, I love seeing people face to face. So there'll be adventures involved where everybody can get together. Cause I just, mm -hmm. I just love that idea. But it's it's easier to feel safe when you don't live in the same community mm -hmm. with everyone else. Yeah, yeah, I'd imagine. Otherwise, I mean, you could put together a group and it just wouldn't be transformational. It would be what many masterminds are, which are tips and tricks. You don't yeah. have, you, it's not so hard to fill a group for tips and tricks. It's just not what I choose to do. Yeah. Yep. Describe in your words what transformational means. Huh. Um, so one, the terms choosing to change. So mm -hmm. transformational is, is something where you, um, you have become different in a way that you wouldn't have even have thought of when you started. Very cool. Yeah. Cause I wanted, I wanted to hear it from you. To, so, so we, I understood and, and everyone else listened understood because I think that's when you see those kind of things happen, 
and you really see that one plus one equals three or four or five, you it's it's a special thing. Uh-huh. And yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So this is one of six that you're going to be writing. So the one of seven. Oh, you went, it went on mute again. Sorry. Or something came out. Showing that you're on mute from here. Not hearing it. I'm trying to unmute it. It says the mic is not connected. There we go. No. I got, got you again. There we go. Weird. Yeah, it was weird. Strange. Oh, I was yeah. just avoiding your question. No. There you go. That's cool. So you got, so how many more books? So it's not five. Of, no, it's so not. The pivot, how many more orchestrate, the pivot Orchestrating Extraordinary Momentum was the first book. Mm-hmm. And it identifies six aligned momentum key indicators. Mm-hmm. And so there are six smaller. I call them airplane reads on each of those indicators. So there's a total of seven. All right. And there's a total of five out now. I mean, there's a total of two out now. Excuse me. There's five remaining. I can Five remaining. (laughs) There's my financial prowess. (laughs) Yeah. That's well, I went to school for engineering and you're supposed to be good at math when you go to school for engineering, but it's not really that way. In some cases, the uh, so do you have a schedule that you're going to release these? Do you plan on doing them every year, every couple I'm years? I'm planning you... on a year and a half for each. Okay, if I could do one in a year, that would be great. I don't know how people do them faster. I think they have teams that are doing the writing or something. I have no idea, or they are completely prescriptive, mm-hmm. um, instructional. When they're these books, just don't come out this one the next one i'm doing is on um talent adaptability it's actually the fifth aligned momentum key indicator but i think it is the next one that's most needed in our world today and it requires interviews so i'll just shout that out because i am starting to interview um, academics that are in this space i am interviewing ceos futurists those okay. that are strategic in human resources that have some input on talent adaptability. There's a lot to it. Yeah. Well, it, wow. That's, that's uh, all big... my books are in three sections and this one. So on Pivot to Clarity, the three sections are first getting clear for you. The next section, part part two, is on how you're being clear, communicating with others. And then the last part is more of if you're here, then go here. But in Pivot to Clarity, it's more about asking questions. So I provide questions that they could ask that's helping to everyone for everyone to get more 
Oh, it muted again. I'm sorry. It's doing oh, it on its own. Ah, yeah. Um, well, we'll get around it. And so um, this one, the first section is going to be on how do we as leaders actually have some idea of how talent is to adapt for the future. How do we know? And then the next, the next part will be on if once we have an idea, how on earth are we going to motivate, inspire for the changes in others? Yes. It, it is not certainly being in a state of aligned momentum will help, but this is not this is not the pandemic. I mean, you mentioned that at the beginning, everybody pivoted quickly, but it is not sustainable. They are overwhelmed. The cultural mm -hmm. changes needed for aligned momentum were not set. Mm -hmm. And so going to people now and saying, well, just adapt. And they're going to say, why? Yeah. You, you don't have the, well, there's a pandemic. No, well, yeah, they still have one, but it's just not the same urgency. Yeah. Well, and the, I sit here and think about the, it is so key too to be able to hire people that have adaptability, that yes. that uh, the people are are able to adapt to the different changing situations because it is another thing that's killed so many businesses. They don't they don't adapt, and it starts with the leaders you talked about before. But identifying people that have the traits that will really allow them to be more adaptive than than others is 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 such a such a gift if you can do it right and it's more than just skills for example um so my development team is mostly in india mm -hmm. and india has a huge political uprisings right now and they keep shutting off the internet and sometimes even shutting off power well that's wow. that's not good for business no um yeah. i know not only do I know that the person has the skills, those skills aren't helping me right now during this, but I know that whenever he has the chance, it doesn't matter what hour of the day it is, if it comes back on, he's on and finding out what help we need. Yeah. That's that's a values thing. That's that is what helps me make the choice. Well, why would I get rid of him during this temporary time? Mm -hmm. to find someone new if I have this person who is going to be there whenever he can mm -hmm. and he just can't right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great example. It's a great example because we, as leaders, if you can identify the people that are going to be able to be like that, it's in these, and let's, let's just be honest. If, if I think anyway, I want to hear your opinion. If leaders aren't adapting to the fact that they should constantly be in a state of pivoting ever so slightly, but continuously in the old days, we called it continuous improvement, but that was around process and things. I'm talking around business. Um, I just don't think that they're, they're ever going to be able to really keep up. Because there's so many things happening so agree. fast. And I will add that it includes them. Oh, yes. It's not just about everybody else. Yeah, yes. Well, I, I 
I posted about this yesterday on LinkedIn. I said, you Did know, you? what 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 most people most people don't realize is the changes outside of us and especially at leaders to start within us. And if you if it doesn't start within you, it's never going to get outside and it doesn't matter if it's you with one person or if you with a thousand people. Mm-hmm. It's it's got to start inside and if you're ready to do it, you got to do it. Uh, and make those changes and uh, because it's yeah it's not just on the outside but it's it, that this is this is the thing that we see and we talked about a while ago people won't businesses won't make the change leaders won't make the change and businesses will die and coming out of this there there's a whole subset of businesses that don't want to face the reality that our ecosphere, and again, this is just my opinion, has changed forever, or at least for the the foreseeable future. And the fact that a lot of business went digital, that won't come back to to in person, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 people changed the way that they had to do business, but they found some things they liked about it. Remote work is is an example. Um, you know, it's it's some people think, well, we're all going back to the office. I don't know. There's some that should and need to, but is everyone? I don't. I don't think that's going to be acceptable to, for everyone to do that anymore. And yep. the people that think that it's going to go back and it, we're going to be, I just think that they're going to fall the wayside. And this this continual evolution of change. Yeah, we had a, a, a sidetrack here, but it's always been there. And I think it just got accelerated, and and you're your <laughs> book on pivot to clarity, getting people clear on, on the fact that they, they need to be ready for this and they need to be clear where they're going and why they're going there. I think is so helpful. So, Thanks. Yep. Yeah. yeah. We just had a talk about this, this remote work in our group um, the other day. And it is, it is a challenge. And I just loved the leader who was expressing her angst with people not wanting to come back in because she'd let them be out. Mm-hmm. Not let them, but that's just, you know, and they didn't, they didn't want to require people to come back in. They wanted to ch- have people to choose to come back in, but she's bringing interns into her business and the interns have no middle management. It's like an intern and top management. The middle management mm-hmm. all wants to stay remote and mm-hmm. so the people that are coming into the office don't have the experience they would need. And so, of course, the leader sees a challenge with labor in the future. And so, you know, what do you do? And I appreciated one of the things she said. She said, do, do I need to change my view on this? And we talked about words because one of the reasons many leaders say they want people back in the office is collaboration. And I love the word collaboration. Do not get me wrong. I'm just saying that it is, if you have a word that's a hot word where people are saying, wait, we're just as collaborative um, when we're not in the office, then you got to rethink the word. Mm-hmm. You either have to, it's similar to a value. I had, I had one, one member who they hadn't, find what respect meant and someone else and someone toxic in their workplace said, well, I'm being respectful. They're like, and finally they just said, well, that's not what respect means here. It's like, that's what they had to resort to. But you know, you gotta, you gotta define what you mean by that because it's so easy to 
for people to say, well, yeah, we're just as collaborative. And so she used the word connection. I said, well, what about that word? You know, use that one. And, and why? And know why. Why is connection important to that organization? And why isn't connection important to them? Why would they want connection? Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that's the answer. I'm just saying we really, no. as leaders, we need to think that's part about being clear to getting your message across is, and it helps you get clear when you're being clearer. Yes. Um, is to think about the words you're using. And if you're hitting a wall, think about using different words. Yes. Yes. No, I think I I, I love it. And that's why I brought it up because I think that it, it really, the, you're talking about the, the need to get in this con, continual pivot, but not like 90 degrees, these to keep things moving. So everybody's used to the pivot, comfortable with the pivot and, and just keeps going. But yeah, the, the the remote work thing I think is is that that's a that's a multi-year conversation, um, yeah. and you know the only thing that I've seen from it is that people need to be more intentional about the way they lead uh, in a remote setting. And you and you don't have that, like you said, the middle management may not have as much interaction with an, an intern or or a new person if it's not intentional. Mm-hmm. And because uh, I've seen, I've seen, well, my son, he works remote and I've seen how they were very, very intentional about how they did it. And it turned out pretty well. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's for another day. But Lori, I want to thank you. I am so happy we got the chance to talk because, you know, your book, Pivot to Clarity, good stuff. Can't wait for the other ones to come out because I think, Wow. They're going to be good. They're going to be good. Um, any final thoughts for people that are listening? Oh, no. Um, I'm happy to answer any questions people have. Yeah. Good, good. Well, we didn't get any questions today. We had Thesia said, hey, uh, she liked your definition. We were talking earlier about transformational. And then Mike is just a guy. No, he's coming in saying hello. So that's <laughs> that's what we got today. But thanks so okay. much for being here. Um where where can they find your book? You can find it on Amazon. I know I've seen the, the other yeah, places. You I get put it. up a landing page for Pivot to Clarity so that I could offer a few videos and some other things if people wanted to get the book um, and okay. then come back and give me their name. And that's just pivottoclarity.com. Very good. Very good. So they can go to Pivot to Clarity. They can also connect with Lori Michelle Levitt on yes. LinkedIn. And my website, they can go to thepivotcatalyst.com. All right. Very good. Well, we'll have those in the show notes as well. Thank you so much, Lori, for being here. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Hold on just a second, Lori, and we'll talk after we get off the air. Okay. Thanks, everyone.